For the benefit of the translators, I'm going to omit pages 8 and 9 and the first paragraph on page 10. <laughs> For the past few years, I have been associated with an organization known as the National Conference of Christian and Jews. This is a national organization with councils and cities all across the country, manned by local officers and committees. In Salt Lake City, a Catholic, a Protestant, a Jew, and a Mormon, all working together as co-chairman in the interest of pr promoting fellowship and brotherhood. And I have thought what a wonderful thing it would be to extend this kind of fellowship to all religions and people throughout the world. The president of this organization, David Hyatt, has stated, Brotherhood, the respect for the dignity and worth of another human being, must become a part of our conscious activities, not just philosophical rhetoric or afterthought. And he continues, Brotherhood is democracy at work. It is giving to others the right and respect we want for ourselves. It can be that simple and that profound. Now, as I have observed the members of this organization and have studied their aims and ideals, I have been impressed with what I have seen, seen them accomplished by people working together in harmony and in unity, achieve their purposes. And I thought the other groups working for a brotherhood or a sisterhood to promote other causes or projects, my mind always came back to the organization of the priesthood, the priesthood of God, which is the greatest and most important brotherhood association in all the world. How fortunate we are to be members of it. But as I have seen, seemed to be always reminding us, the membership comes great responsibility and great opportunity. It is not enough for us to be members and to be satisfied with the numbers we have in our respective quorums. We want to reach out and embrace all the world in the brother, our brotherhood, which is the only organization designed to bring them the greatest gift they could receive, that is eternal life. The members of the Church are in a very unique position because they know and understand that all human beings are literally spirit children of God and that the family unit is eternal and can enjoy eternal progression, which should be the goal of all. Because we know that God is our Father, we refer to one another as brothers and sisters, just as children and families do, and we enjoy a true feeling of brotherhood. Some people ask the reason for an organized church. They feel they can work out their own salvation alone and that there is no need to attend church meetings or fill other requirements as long as they are honest and honorable and do good to their fellow men. But the Lord has given us instructions that we should belong to a church, and this, his church, as the same organization that Jesus Christ himself established while he was on the earth. We have many explicit declarations from the Lord that make this clear, and also that we need to encourage and help one another. He said, and that thou mayest more fully keep thyself unspotted from the world, thou shalt go to the house of prayer and offer up thy sacrament upon my holy day. Another, it is expedient that the Church meet together often to partake of bread and wine in the remembrance of the Lord Jesus. Further, he said, And I give unto you a commandment, that you shall teach one another the doctrine of the kingdom. And he admonished, When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. All of these instructions are to help us enjoy life here and pre prepare ourselves to go back into the presence of our Heavenly Father. For this purpose, the earth was created, and we will find a scriptural account setting forth God's plan for us. We will go down, for there is space there, and we will take of these materials and will make an earth whereon these may dwell. And we will prove them herewith to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. Unquote. To accomplish God's purposes and to prove ourselves, it is necessary that we work within his church and understand the direction of his authorized servants. We need the strength that comes from association with others who are seeking the same goals. To illustrate this, I should like to repeat a story related by Henry D. Taylor a few years ago in a talk which he gave at the conference and which is entitled, Man Does Not Stand Alone. A boy was extended an invitation 
to visit his uncle, who was a lumberjack up in the Northwest. And he, as he arrived, his uncle met him at the depot. And as the two pursued their way into the lumber camp, the boy was impressed by the enormous size of the trees on every hand. There was a gigantic tree, which he observed standing on a hill all alone. The boy, full of awe, called out excitedly, Uncle George, look at that big tree. It'll make a lot of good lumber, won't it? Uncle George slowly shook his head, then replied, No, son, that tree will, make a lot of, will not make a lot of good lumber. It will make a lot of lumber, but not a lot of good lumber. When a tree grows off by itself, too many branches grow on it. Those branches produce knots when the tree is cut into lumber. The best lumber comes from trees that grow together in groves. The trees also grow taller and straighter when they grow together. Then Brother Taylor made this observation. It is so with people. We become better individuals, more useful timber, when we, go, we grow together than alone. Elder Sterling W. Sill, in an article entitled Men in Step, wrote, The greatest invention of all time is said to have taken place 2,500 years ago at a platea when an obscure Greek, Greek perfected the process of marching men, marching men in step. When it was found that the efforts of a large group of people having different motives and different personalities could be organized and coordinated to function as one, that day civilization began. Now, I might say that today all priesthood holders of the Church are in step to march in the army of God in doing our duty, helping one another, looking after the Church, fellowshipping all mankind. Then we will be accomplishing God's purposes and doing what he has intended for us to do when he established his church. The church has established a welfare program through which we can work in an organization, organized way to assist those who are in need. Men and women spend countless hours working together in welfare projects, which will be stocked against the time of need by persons other than themselves. What a great feeling it is to realize that all throughout the Church we have facilities for producing and dispensing commodities which have been placed in storehouses, ready to be distributed to the needy among us. This is the Brotherhood in Action, to labor or support financially programs which are for persons one may never see or hear about. It is easy to do things for our own families and loved ones, but to give our substance for the stranger who is in need is the real test of our charity and love for our fellow men. Another area where we benefit and bless blessings of some we do not know is in the field of temple work, genealogical work. We perform thousands and thousands of ordinances for those who have died without having had the opportunity to do for themselves those things which are necessary for their advancement in the kingdom of heaven. In both these areas of our Church activity, it is inspirational to see groups of men and women working together by, side by side in good fellowship to accomplish something for somebody else. Now, These projects strengthen personal relations between those who are working together and building testimonies of the truthfulness of the gospel which teaches that we are brothers, our brothers' keepers. And inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Sometimes we can get our inactive brethren to assist in such projects, and when they catch the spirit of the work, they will want to continue their association with their brethren in the core meetings. I'm waiting for those pages. In order to extend this brotherhood to all the world, we send out thousands of missionaries in keeping with the Savior's injunction to go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. It is always interesting to hear the returned missionaries, no matter where they have labored, 
say that they served in the greatest mission in the world. This is because they have caught the spirit of missionary work and become persuaded that all men are brothers and children of God. And as they teach the gospel, they learn to replace with love any prejudice that they might have felt for the people among whom they labor. It is remarkable what the Spirit of the Lord can do for us. We pray every day that governments and countries, which are not clo- now closed to our missionary work, will open their gates to make it possible for us to teach them the gospel, which alone will bring full understanding of the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. We want to explain how they can return to live with God, their Father, and be returned with their families and eventually live eternally as one great family. Though we are accused of prejudice, there is no people any place in the world with greater love for and interest in humanity than the Latter-day Saints. We express this feeling of brotherhood through the principles we teach and the work we do. We have mentioned temple work for the dead, our welfare services, and the great missionary work. We also express our concern and interest in our fellows through the home teachers, the priesthood organizations, and the visiting teachers of the Relief Society. Where these visits are made, as they should be, members of the Church should feel that they are fellowshiped into the great brotherhood and sisterhood. I relate two experiences to demonstrate what I mean. A man in one of our organizations was transferred to the New York City to direct the work of one of our radio stations. He had never been there in New York, before, New York before, but he located one of our chapels and attended church the first Sunday that he was there. He was welcomed into the priesthood quorum as a brother, and his wife and children were similarly welcomed and were soon right at home. In contrast, at the same time, another young man whom we knew was sent by his company to operate another station. Though he was a member of a church with many times the membership of the LDS Church, he found it most difficult to feel at home and soon asked for a transfer back to his original station. It might have been his fault, or it might have been the fault of his church. However, in our church, if the individual and the quorums are functioning as they should, all church members should feel happy, wanted, and accepted wherever they go. Another experience was related to me recently by one of our priesthood holders. This is what he said. I, with my wife and teenage son and daughter, had a very serious car accident. My wife, daughter, and son escaped without any serious injury. The car was totaled. As I was pulled out of the wreck, I was in a state of shock, paralyzed and semi-conscious. The wreckers could could not figure out how we came out alive. As people came to the scene of the accident, one man ordered them not to move me for fear of causing paralysis. He was the first man on the scene, and as he examined me, he found that I was wearing temple garments. He was a Mormon. After seeing me safely in the ambulance and on the way to the next town, he had altered, alerted the bishopric, and as I arrived at the hospital, the brethren were there to administer to me. The attending physician of the hospital was a state president. For the next week, I was on the critical list, and a member of the bishopric insisted that my wife and family stay at his home, taking meals and shelter there. After three or four days, my wife and family returned home to Phoenix, and the members of the ward rallied around my family to help wherever they could. One good brother offered to use his private plane or motorhome to bring me back home. We used the motorhome which made it possible for them to slide the stretcher into it. When I arrived home, there were many friends there to greet me, and my dear friend and member of my priesthood quorum, who is a fine physician, took care of me. We cannot express our gratitude to those who offered assistance in so many ways, but most definitely we witnessed there the priesthood in action, and always will be grateful to be members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where such brotherhood is fostered. President Stephen L. Richards, a former counselor in the First Presidency, said, I have reached the conclusion in my own mind that no man, however great his intellectual attainments, however however vast or far-reaching his service may be, arrives at the full measure of, of his sonship and the manhood the Lord intended him to have without the investiture of the holy priesthood 
And without appreciation, my brethren, I have given thanks to the Lord all my life for the marvelous blessings which has come to me, a blessing that some of my progenitors had, and a blessing which more than any other heritage I want my sons and my grandsons and my great-grandsons to enjoy. Well, brethren, I have tried to help us all to further understand our duty, that it might be truly said of us, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. May we assist our prophet, President Spencer W. Kimball, in accomplishing his great desires for the benefit and blessings of mankind. His primary and most worthy goals are to take the gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, and to build temples wherein the work can be done to seal on earth and in heaven those blessings reserved for the faithful and righteous. May we strive with all our hearts, minds, and strength to do what the Lord would have us do in preparation for his second coming. I fully believe that when he comes, he will call on the faithful brethren who hold his priesthood in preference to any others to assist him in the consummation of his glorious work. I know he lives, that he will come again, and it is my earnest prayer that we will be worthy to meet him and assist him. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. My beloved brothers and sisters and friends, present and everywhere who listen in, I I hope and pray that the prayer offered that we'll enjoy the Spirit of the Lord and understand His purposes will be with us all as I make a few remarks. I've chosen for my theme this morning, There is a Silver Lining Through the Dark Clouds Shining. I take this from a jingle we used to sing in the Army in 1918 when things looked gloomy. I have done this because although there is present all Though there is person, presently a widespread foreboding of difficult times ahead, I am persuaded that there is a silver lining in our predic- to our predicament, and that behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch upon his own. Typical of the widespread concern is the statement made some time ago by the Secretary General of the United Nations. I do not wish to conceal, he said, my profound concern about the situation which prevails in the world, a concern which I know to be shared by responsible people everywhere. There is an almost universal sense of apprehension about where the tumultuous developments of our time may take us, a sense of deep anxiety at phenomena which we do not fully understand, let alone control. In all the speculation, much of it depressing, about the shape of the future, there recurs a note of hopelessness and fatalism which I find deeply disturbing. This is not a new phenomenon. Dire prophecies have often before been the symptoms of periods of transition and change in human society. What is new is the scope and scale of the problems which give rise to these apprehensions. I'm still quoting from the Secretary General. Today, the civilization which is facing such a challenge is not just one small part of mankind. It is mankind as a whole. End of the quotation. Another ominous reminder of the gathering gloom is found in a recent press release concerning a new book titled The End of Affluence, which pictures humanity on the edge of an abyss of scarcity that appears bottomless. These forecasts are discomforting. They come as no surprise, however, to Latter-day Saints, because we know 
that nearly 150 years ago the Lord said that the conduct of the inhabitants of the earth, unless reformed, would bring disaster. He diagnosed its cause, predicted its coming, and prescribed the means by which it can be avoided. The inhabitants of the earth, he said, explaining the cause of the impending disaster, have strayed from mine ordinances and have broken mine everlasting covenant. They seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walketh in his own way and after the image of his own God. Wherefore, he continued, Wherefore I, the Lord, knowing the calamity which should come upon the inhabitants of the earth, called upon my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., and spake unto him from heaven, and gave him commandments, and also gave commandments to others, that they should proclaim these things unto the world. The Lord is here referring to communications which had been taken place between him and Joseph Smith during the previous 11 years, which began with a personal appearance of God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son to Joseph Smith. In these communications, revelations they were, God had declared that the spirits of all men are his literal offspring. He explained that the earth was created at his instance to be the dwelling place upon which we, the spirits, sons and daughters, his spirit sons and daughters, were to be proved to see if we would do what he, our Father and God, commands us. We know from widespread experience, he knew how we would have to conduct ourselves in order to avoid the calamities which have repeatedly vexed and devastated the inhabitants of the earth. So knowing, he instructed the first generation of men beginning with Adam, and he has instructed every succeeding generation how to live in order to persist and prosper. He has told them that if they would follow his directions, they would be blessed and flourish upon the earth. At the same time, he has warned that if they persisted in disregarding his directions, they would bring upon themselves calamities and disaster. These directions and warnings have not been the arbitrary edicts of a vindictive tyrant. They are the teachings, counsels, and pleadings of a solicitous, loving Heavenly Father. They prescribe the one and only means to peace and happiness in this earth. They declare irrevocable law, compliance with which is indispensable to peace and progress. The earth itself responds to man's obedience or disobedience to the teachings of God who made the earth. Obedience invokes peaceful and beneficent cooperation of the elements. Disobedience may, and repeatedly has, produced calamity in the form of destructive phenomena. Total disobedience in the days of Noah brought about the deluge. Let us consider some of God's basic instructions which, if obeyed, bring peace and prosperity. The first commandment he gave to Adam and Eve after they left the Garden of Eden was that they should worship the Lord their God. The significance of this commandment underlies all the rest of his commandments. Note how the Lord has repeatedly emphasized this need. 
I am the Lord thy God, he said. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. To the lawyer who asked, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. The Lord was alluding to these commandments when he said to the prophet Joseph Smith concerning this generation, They seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walketh in his own way and after the image of his own God, whose image is in the likeness of the world. These commandments with others, together with blessings promised to follow obedience thereof, were thus emphasized in the commandments given to Joseph Smith for our instruction in this dispensation. And I quote, Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy might, mind and strength, and in the name of Jesus Christ thou shalt serve him. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt not steal, neither commit adultery, nor kill, nor do anything like unto it. Thou shalt thank the Lord thy God in all things, and that thou mayest more fully keep thyself unspotted from the world. Thou shalt go to the house of prayer and offer up thy sacraments upon my holy day. And inasmuch, and inasmuch as ye do these things with thanksgiving, with cheerful hearts and countenances, the fullness of the earth is yours. And you will learn that he who doeth the works of righteousness shall receive his reward, even peace in this world, and eternal life in the world to come. Now do you think, you who listen, do you think this generation merits this reward by reasoning of having observed these commandments? Following our samples of what the Lord has said we merit and shall receive if we, refusing to repent, hold to our present course of wickedness. Quote, A desolating scourge shall go forth among the inhabitants of the earth and shall continue to be poured out from time to time if they repent not until the earth is empty and the inhabitants thereof are consumed away and utterly destroyed by the brightness of my coming. Behold, I tell you these things, said the Savior in this dispensation, behold, I tell you these things, even as I also told the people of the destruction of Jerusalem, and my word shall be fulfilled at this time, as it hath hitherto been verified. In the 88th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord gives us this counsel and this prediction. Abide ye in the liberty wherewith ye are made free. Entangle not yourselves in sin, but let your hands be clean until the Lord comes. For not many days hence the earth shall tremble and reel to and fro as a drunken man, and the sun shall hide his face, and shall refuse to give light, and the moon shall be bathed in blood, and the stars shall become exceedingly angry, and shall cast themselves down as a fig falleth from off a fig tree. Now all the acts of governments, all the armies of the nations, all the learning and the wisdom of man together cannot turn these calamities aside. The only way they can be averted 
is for men to accept and conform to the way of life revealed by God, our Heavenly Father. Calamities will come as a matter of cause and effect. They follow naturally and inevitably the sins of mankind and the unregenerate state of the race. And let it not be supposed now that the Lord takes pleasure in these calamities. He does not. He graphically foretells the inevitable consequences of man's sins for the purpose of inducing them to repent and thereby avoid their cal the calamities. And now, in conclusion, let us consider for a moment the silver lining spoken of. As the Lord has repeatedly warned and that breaking His commandments would bring on calamity, so has He promised that observance of His commandments would avert calamity and bring blessings. As disobedience brought on the flood, so obedience sanctified Enoch's Zion, and the Lord blessed the land, and they did flourish. And the Lord called His people Zion because they were of one heart and one mind and dwelt in righteousness. As in ancient America, the rebellious were destroyed by earthquake, whirlwind, and fire at the time of Christ's crucifixion, so the righteous survivors developed a society which enjoyed perfect peace for several hundred years. Through Malachi, the Lord promised Israel that by faithfulness and see the season should be made propitious, that maturing rain would come, bringing such harvest that the people would lack room to store their pro products. Like assurance have been given in these latter days. Nephi, visioning and speaking of our day, said, that God will preserve the righteous by His power, even unto the destruction of their enemies by fire, wherefore the righteous need not fear. Speaking to His apostles concerning our day, Jesus said, They shall see an overflowing scourge, for a desolating sickness shall cover the land. But my disciples shall stand in holy places and shall not be moved. But among the wicked, men shall lift up their voices and curse God and die. And there shall be earthquakes also in diverse places and many desolations. Yet men shall harden their hearts against me and they will take up the sword one against another, and they will kill one another. When the Lord had spoken these words, as he stood with his apostles, they were troubled. But he said unto them, Be not troubled, for when all these things shall come to pass, ye may know that the promises which have been made unto you shall be fulfilled. I am no respecter of purpose of persons, he said, and will that all men shall know that the day speedily cometh. The hour is not yet, but is nigh at hand, when peace shall be taken from the earth, and the devil shall have power over his own dominion. And also, and here is the brightest spot in the silver lining, the Lord shall have power over his saints and shall reign in their midst. That we shall in faith, full faith, relying upon these assurances, so keep the commandments that we shall be sustained by the knowledge that behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch upon his own. 
Now, my brothers and sisters, I bear you my witness that I know these things are true, that we are the children of God our Father, that he sent us here, that our actions determine what will occur according to his statements to us in this plain and simple words that he has spoken. I know that we can have peace in the world if we will turn and follow the commandments of the Lord. And I know that the calamity will, fo will follow if we do not. And I plead God to be with us that we may merit peace and security in the name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. I'd like to say this. President Brigham Young, the second president of this dispensation, he said this, It is supposed by this people that we have all of the ordinances in our possession for life, salvation, and exaltation, and that we are administering in those ordinances. This is not the case. We are in possession of all the ordinances that can be administered in the flesh, but there are other ordinances and administrations that must be administered beyond this world. I know you would like to ask what they are. I will mention one. We have not, neither can we receive it here, the ordinance and the keys of resurrection. Do we have the keys of resurrection, he asked. Could you return to the earth as one, one who would never again die? Your own parents, your grandparents, your ancestors. I buried my mother when I was 11, my father when I was in my early 20s. I have missed my parents much. If I had the power of resurrection, as did the Savior of the world, I would be tempted to try to have kept them longer. I've been called to speak in numerous funerals of people from, for whom I have known, those whom I have known, people whom I have loved, and people whom I have saved and helped in a limited way. We do not know of anyone who can re resurrect the dead as did Jesus the Christ when he brought back to mortality. The keys, quote, will be given to those who have passed off this stage of action and have reflected, have received their bodies again. They will be ordained by those who hold the keys of the resurrection to go forth and resurrect the saints just as we receive the ordinance of baptism, the keys of the authority to baptize others for the remission of their sins. This is one of the ordinances we cannot receive here in, on the earth, and there are many more. We remember when the Lord Jesus was in the ship, in the hinder part of the ship, and was sleeping on a pillow. And they awakened him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And they said to themselves, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Perhaps there's something else that we will learn as we perfect our bodies and our spirits in the times to come. And you and I, what helpless creatures we are. Such limited power we have and how little can we control the winds and the waves and the storms and remember the numerous scriptures which concentrated in a single line were said by a former prophet. 
as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. This is a power available to us as we reach perfection and receive the experience and power to create, to organize, to control native elements. How limited. We have no power to force the grass to grow, the plants to emerge, the seeds to develop. We have no ordinance here, says Brigham Young. We organize according to men in the flesh by combining the elements and the planting, the seeds. We cause vegetables, trees, grains, etc. to come forth, but we do not give them life. We organize a kingdom here according to the pattern that the Lord has given for the people of the fl in the flesh, but not for those who have received the resurrection, although it is a similitude. Millions of us have contributed toward the creation and the development of a spirit, but the germ of this, God is placed within us, and when our spirits receive our bodies through our faithfulness, we are worthy to be to be ground, we will then receive authority to produce both spirit and body. But these keys we cannot receive here in the flesh. Again, the powers of heaven. Here is another man, a mortal creature, and the ancestor of Moses, who talked with the Lord face to face as one talks with another. The Lord said, My son, my son, I will show you all these. I saw those things which his hands had made. They were multiplied before mine eyes, and I could not see the end thereof. The Lord showed Abraham the constellations, the worlds as numerous as the sands of the sea. And the Lord said, Abraham, I show these things unto thee before ye go into Egypt that ye may declare all these words. And then came a succession of creation and planets and worlds which had no end. The Lord had sent his angel to deliver Abraham from the hands of an assassin who would have taken his life on the altar. The Lord would show him the things which he did not know. For, said he, I rule in the heavens above and in the earth beneath in all wisdom and prudence over all the intelligences thine eyes have seen from the beginning. I came down in the beginning in the midst of all the intelligences thou hast seen. And then he opens a new world to the prophet Abraham. The Lord had shown to Abraham the intelligences that were organized before the world was created. And among all these, there were many of the noble and great ones. And God saw these souls that they were good. And he stood in the midst of them. And he said, These I will make my rulers. For he stood among those that were spirits. And he saw they were good. And he said unto me, Abraham, thou art one of them. Thou wast chosen before thou wast born. And there stood one among them that was like unto God. And he said unto those who were with him, We will go down, for there is space there, and we will take of these materials, and we will make an earth whereon these may dwell. And then he continued with these promises. And we will prove them herewith to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. And they who keep their first estate, that is, their spiritual life, they shall be added upon. And they who keep not their first estate shall not have glory in the same kingdom with those who keep their first estate. And they who keep their second estate and that is the mortal life, shall have glory added upon their heads forever and ever. If they keep their estate, if they live the commandments, if they do all things whatsoever 
the Lord God has commanded them. God has created these intelligences, had given to them spirit bodies, and given them instructions and training, and then proceeded to create a world for them, and then sent them as spirits to obtain a mortal body for which he made preparation. And then when upon the earth he gave them instructions how to go about developing and conducting their lives, make it a perfect one to return to their Father in heaven after their transitions. Then came the periods of time when souls were placed upon the earth and born to parents, and parents were permitted to furnish the bodies. But no parent has ever yet on this earth has ever been the parent of a spirit because we're so far yet from perfection. Remembering what was said a while ago that as, as God is, uh, as man is, God once was, and as God is, man may become. with a definite understanding that they could return to become like God and go forward in their great development and progress. Could you produce a spirit? Has anyone whom you know ever produced a spirit? This is a power not given to mortal man, so there's much for us to learn. We have not power in the flesh to create and bring forth or produce a spirit with all the vaunted knowledge of the experts in the world. This has not been given to man, but we have the power to produce with the help of God a temporal body for our children. The germ of this God has placed within us. Herein, brethren, you can perceive that we have not and cannot finish our work while we live here on the earth no more than Jesus did while he was in the flesh. Could we mention one more thing? While we are in the mortal body, we cannot fashion kingdoms to organize matter, for that is beyond our capacity and calling beyond this world. In the resurrection, men who have been faithful and diligent in all things in the flesh, who have kept their first and second estates and are worthy to be crowned gods, even the sons of God will be ordained to organize matter. How much matter do you suppose there is between here and some of the fixed stars which we can see? Enough to frame many, very many millions of such earths as this. Yet it is not, not now so diffused, clear and pure, that we look through it and behold the stars, yet the matter is there. Can you form any conception of this? Can you form any idea of the minuteness of matter? Can you realize even slightly how relatively little we know? As he said, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. We talk about the gospel in its fullness yet realize that a large part is still available to us as we prepare, as we perfect, and as we become more like our God. In the Doctrine and Covenants, we read of Abraham, who has already attained godhood. He has received many powers, and undoubtedly that we would like to have and will eventually get if we continue faithful, and perfect our lives. Let me conclude with this thought, the song, O My Father. O my Father, thou that dwellest in that high and glorious place, when shall I regain thy presence and again behold thy face? In thy holy habitation did my spirit once reside in my first primeval childhood was I nurtured near thy side. For a wise and glorious purpose thou hast placed me here on earth and withheld 
the recollection of my former friends and birth. Yet oft times a secret something whispered, you're a stranger here, and I felt that I had wandered from a more exalted sphere. I had learned to call thee Father through thy spirit from on high, but until the key of knowledge was restored, I knew not why. In the heavens are parents single? No, the thought makes reason stare. Truth is reason. Truth eternal tells me I have a mother there. When I leave this frail existence, when I lay this mortal by, Father, Mother, may I meet you in your royal courts on high? Then at length, when I've completed all you sent me forth to do, with your mutual approbation, let me come and dwell with you. My brothers and sisters, God bless you as we carry forward our lives toward perfection so that we may attain, receive the blessings that we're promised, that we may reach Godhood eventually and have the blessings appertaining thereto. I ask the Lord to bless us as we go to our homes, as we train our children, as we teach them the truths of the everlasting gospel, that they too may uh, arrange their lives early so that they may point them toward that perfection which the Lord will recognize in the eternities. And I ask these blessings, leaving our blessings upon you with the testimony that this is the truth that God lives and that Jesus is the Christ, and you know it, and I know it, and our lives should show it in all of our activities. I bear this testimony to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.